Jet, hi. Um, very pleased to meet you. Um, Hello, Jeff. Hi, where are you based? Where are you? Uh, in uh, Metro Vancouver in British Columbia, west coast of Canada. So we're in a suburb called Coquitlam, which is uh, on a side of a lower half of a mountain. I'm just looking at your background. I, uh, the Explorer's Bar, I love it. It's, uh... Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, it's a little idea. We had this living space in our house that we weren't using for a number of years, and we decided to open a little home bar. And it happened that we opened it about a month before the pandemic hit, so it was very opportunistic of us to, to have done that. But we have a lot of fun with it. It's a space we spend a lot of time in now, and that's good. I'm sure you do. And the, and the belt down, down the other side of you, what's the belt? Oh, oh, that's a candle holder. On top, there's a candle. Ah, okay. Oh, it's like a, well, a wall sconce, they call them. Right, right. Um, West Coast, Canada. Uh, yes. w- wow, what a stunning place. I have dived um, up and down there and uh, quite a bit in the Charlottes and Vancouver. And I found it just absolutely stunning. Is that, is that where most of your work is based now? Or do you still travel? Oh, well, uh, prior to the pandemic, we were traveling. We'd been up to Svalbard in Norway and um, where else? I was supposed to head to the Philippines. We had a couple trips lined up for there and had to cancel those. Uh, So we've got one planned for next uh, year in July, which will be going back to the Philippines. But locally, it's all, you know, I've been diving here since 1980. And it's spectacular diving. That's one of the best places in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, there, there is so much wildlife up and down that coast. I, I assume wildlife is kind of main priority of your work? Yeah, we do, um, we do travel articles. Uh, we've branched out a little bit. Uh, I just did a story on martinis, which was just a fun thing. We have a, a column we run with Luxpeed Magazine. Uh, it's semi-monthly kind of thing. And in that, we're able to write about anything we want. So everything, they love the diving stories we send them. But we've also written about uh, Napoleon's tomb, uh, the museums in Norway, things like that. So it gives us a chance when we are traveling, if there's something that interests us on the side, we can pick up on. So, yeah, some travel photography in there. But underwater has been my, my thing since 83, January of 83, I picked it up. And nice. It's nice to be able to do other things as well. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. I do remember when I started, uh, I started making underwater films and I was saying to someone the other day in an interview that it's, it's amazing how in those days, certainly you became pigeonholed and you could only do that, which you were known for to, to attempt to do anything else was just so difficult, but I think it's a lot easier now, isn't it? I think so. Um, yeah. I don't know where it started, but I mean, I learned how to take pictures underwater and set f-stops and apertures and everything. And it was all manual in those days and film, slide film. And as things evolved, I mean, it's naturally when you're traveling, we were taking pictures of First Nation burial sites and things like that that we'd come across. So it kind of just evolved and uh, took a while because initially you want to be known as an underwater photographer. That's your specialty. But eventually you kind of embrace the overall, I'm a photographer and I prefer wildlife, but I do shoot travel in cities and things like that too. But uh, just, I just love it. It's, um, 
just been part of my life. I don't know, you know, what I would have done if I hadn't fallen into it. Yeah, I, I know that thought entirely. For me, going on, on film trips throughout the years, um, I, I mean, I loved it, as, as you obviously do. There's only one thing I didn't like, and that was leaving my wife and kids behind for long times. But, but you solved that because you work with Catherine, your wife. Uh, exactly. <laughs> fantastic. And, and do you work together all of the time? Uh, she's able to come on, you know, some of the trips in the year. There's times when I'll have to go off on my own. Uh, but it, it just works out that uh, we work well together. We're copacetic. We never argue, really. Uh, so as long as I listen to what she tells me to do, everything's good. <laughs> but no, seriously, you know, it, it just works. Uh, it's it, uh, I'm um, When I started out when I was very young, I was five years old, and I really... I watched Sea Hunt as an early episode, a TV episode that used to be on. That inspired me to get into diving. But what I gravitated to throughout um, my childhood and into my teens was watching people like Ron and Valerie Taylor and how, um, who else, the uh, Hans and Lottie Haas. Uh, these were people, and uh, Stephen Frank and Barbara Dornbach, uh, people that, the diving couple. And what I found happened initially was the, Guy was a photographer, the woman was the underwater model and very pleasing for the photos. But as things changed and grew, Catherine's taking pictures and pictures of me. And that helps to set the storyline sometimes where if I'm in a setting, here's the photographer taking a picture. Um, but that's always something I've always gravitated to for some reason. And um, I like the, the collaboration. It's even uh, better now with digital because right after the dive, you can be looking together at sort of what we've captured and if it didn't quite work, we can go back and do it again or yeah, we've got it. Let's move on. Yeah. That's, that's a delightful way to work for sure. And does it, does it always work out? Do, do you have your, your set roles and, um, or you just make some match seeds as it turns out? It just kind of works out. Uh, she's taken a camera with her now underwater. Um, I, I think, you know, she's taken some beautiful images up in, when we we're up in Norway in Svalbard, uh, she, she captures some stunners in my view. And I ended up using most of them for one of the articles we did um, when I was going through the photos. I said, these are so good that, you know, I'm putting mine aside. And so I, I just see that uh, I like photos. I like good photos and it doesn't matter to me who took them. It's all about the work and let's put our best, best face out there and best product we have. So she's uh, learned, uh, you know, either by osmosis or just observation and her own talent, I think, has brought her along. So it, uh, when it comes to diving, we, we sometimes have an idea what subject we're after and we're in that specific location. Uh, other times it's just simply going down, let's go see what we can find and uh, work it from there. Sounds great. Sounds perfect. Very idyllic. Lovely. Uh, just looking through your... Um, website uh my goodness um a lot of stuff there um and you're a member of just so many societies um but just one caught my eye uh the league of underwater explorers can you just tell us a little bit about that yeah that's um <clears throat> fellow i know here bill nado had created that over on vancouver island and it's an international organization he's setting up 
primarily about a bunch of underwater photographers, cinematographers, um, divers, and its uh, primary focus is to be um, a kind of a think tank where we can share information, but also to do more outreach to schools and um, any areas that need some kind of education about the underwater environment, uh, very much conservation focused and, um, and, and also bringing attention to the world's oceans. So we don't, I, we only got in there about a year ago, so it's, it's going to evolve. Yeah. I'm just going to read a bit from, from your site. It says, um, our, this is, I believe you writing it. Uh, our objective is to empower future generations to leave a legacy of ecological sustainability and inspire them to take stewardship of the planet and all its waterways by sharing our own discoveries. That's a lovely objective. Do you get feedback from that? Do you find it's working? Do people ever get in touch with you and say, yeah, you really inspired us to, to do what we're doing now? I've actually had that happen um, on more than one occasion. It, uh, it surprised me because being a, a writer photographer, you're working in an office, you turn out a story, it goes out there and the magazine tells you 100,000 or a million people potentially have read that article. But it's not like people are holding up lighters, you know, after you've published it, that uh, like in a, a rock concert. And you only find out or come across that bit of fandom, I guess, when you're at a dive show or you get on a dive boat somewhere and people have heard of you, know about you, they've read a bunch of your articles. And so you do influence people. Uh, one of the first stories I ever published, I did a presentation at a local dive store here in Vancouver. And this couple came up to me after the presentation and said, oh, we loved your story on Cozumel. And it made us want to go. So to me, that's the kind of thing that uh, when you're writing these stories, I'm trying to present the place in its best um, light. Also, things that are unique about a location. And the best compliment I've ever heard from somebody, I think, is you made us want to go. And so that ties in with the conservation story where we're writing about it, talking about it. I've actually branched out on LinkedIn over the last few years and doing some posts there. And I have tremendous feedback daily from people, how much uh, we've opened their eyes to the underwater world or things they never knew or never thought they would know. And uh, I get thanked pretty much daily on, on posts that I'm putting out there. And of course, through Instagram as well. So it's an interesting world now because everyone can reach out to everybody. And I always say we're all connected, but never more so than today with uh, the power of social media. Yeah. It's an interesting one for me. It's, it's, it's a bit of a sort of double-edged sword, as it were. The, um, I remember one of the first films I made was about um, a Sherman tank of um, the British coast that had sunk during the D-Day uh, landing practices. And I made a film about it and showed all the life on it and there were lots of fish and there was a big conger eel on it. Beautiful animal, beautiful. And we kind of said where it was to set the historic um, uh, information on it. And within a year, the tank had been fished out oh. and the following year somebody locally said 
oh, there's a Shema tank there. Let's bring it up and put it on the beach and we'll make a monument of it. And of course, generally people think, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. To me, it was, it was one of the saddest days of my life <laughs> because yeah. it was this beautiful habitat that was then wrenched out of the sea and, and put onto the car park. Have you had any experiences of revealing places or, or ecosystems or anything? And for whatever reason, it's just slightly backfired. They pave over paradise. <laughs> yes. Um, interesting question. Uh, I, I guess we've, I can think of one situation where we found um, some first nation skulls that are out here in the West coast. They're moss covered. Uh, they were actually there from a, a war party that captured some people that attacked the village and beheaded them and left these skulls out. And um, we, we swore everyone on the trip to secrecy. We'll never reveal the location to anybody because we know that someone will go in there and just take them and put them on a mantle place somewhere. So we try to be mindful about that. It's the other side of the coin is if you bring back the story and you're able to tell people how spectacular it is or that there's a Sherman tank here with amazing amount of life on it. You, you would hope that people would want to preserve that and protect it in some way. So we're always having to, I guess, deal with that on some level. I remember a story of Ron, uh, Valerie Taylor, Ron and Valerie Taylor, many years ago were diving a place called the Cod Hole, Cod Hole in Australia off the Barrier Reef. And they had these large gigantic potato cod and it was a fabulous story that hit the magazines. And then, I think a year or two later, Valerie wrote a story about how a lot of them had been fished out because the fishermen went there to take them. So it's really hard um, to, to know what the outcome or impact will be when you're writing something. Kind of, but if we think there's something that we're writing about that is going to be exploited in a negative way, then we will not reveal the location. That's just kind of, and I, everybody I know is pretty much in the same boat on that. Um, because we do see the thing that you just described where they'll go in and fish it out and even remove the tank. And uh, it was meant to be there, leave it there. Yeah, it, it is a difficult one sometimes. Um, I th it is interesting with, as you're saying, social media and technology, it's very hard to keep any um, locations or habitats a secret now. Um, because everybody's watching you all of the time. Mm -hmm. The days of just you going out on an expedition uh, are probably gone, uh, if not nearly gone. You've always got, well, everybody has mobile phones now. Yes. And of course, are always Facebooking. Uh, yeah, I saw Jet last week. He was down there. Great. Uh, so it is difficult to keep things um, a secret if we want to. Agreed. Yes. Um, I, th I think social media has had, um, I mean, I see it as a bit of a torturous thing sometimes because you're always having to keep up with it. And, and if people are liking what you've posted, you're, you're having to reciprocate. And that's the whole concept of social media. But where it's been really powerful that I found is you can reach out to editors around the world. You can reach out to contemporaries, peers. You, you make connections. Some of you become more closely associated you can ask for advice. I'm going to this location. You've been there. Any, anything you can tell me to watch out for or what I should be looking for. And generally, most people are very sharing and accommodating with that kind of information. And I've also, I don't know how many stories I've been given from an editor that they've, 
I'll, I'll post a picture just on, on Facebook of say a sockeye salmon. We were just snorkeling with them a few years back and Stephen Frink contacted me from alert diver asked if I had any verticals and they wanted to use it inside the magazine. So literally within a morning from the time I posted till the sat in the afternoon, I've put it together and sent it off to him. And um, had I, had he not see, seen that image, uh, he never would have made the call. So there is an extreme power. I always tell people in any of the photo workshops I do is that, you know, consider this, follow the, um, the photo pros and the writers that, uh, that uh, whose work you, you like and admire and also see what they're doing. Keep, keep abreast of uh, their style and the editors will always, sometimes I put out a call, we're looking for images on uh, oceanic white tip sharks, for example, and then they'll ask you to submit them through. So, so I see the positives of that, but the downside is it takes up a lot of time <laughs> in trying to feed, because I'm feeding about four channels and, um, and it's a bit of a chore, but you know, there's a re risk and a reward for that at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. You've brought back some memories for me. It, um, I remember before, before there was email, um, you know, and to research a project or a species actually took a long time. You know, you'd hope somebody near the location had a phone, possibly, if there was a line there. And I can think of various occasions where I've travelled around the world and finally got to a site and found the species has gone or things have right. changed yeah. because there's been, <laughs> there hasn't been that, that immediate information, which, which we absolutely delight in now. I mean, it, it has, as you're saying, made life in many ways uh, a lot easier, I think. I agree. And the other challenge with that is everybody, I mean, back in the late 80s, you know, you knew a few places to go in the world for, say, whale sharks. But now, they're, you know every location on the planet where they're likely to be, what time of year you can plan around the full moon, things like that. Um, so there's a power in that. There's also a danger in that, that the, it brings the crowds. And um, it, it's, it's trying to find that balance, I guess, where uh, we're not sort of impacting negatively on the environment. But yet at the same time, if we can write about it and tell the story, people fall in love with the cause or that they, these animals should be protected and they may never go there themselves, but they've learned about it through a picture you've posted and a story you attach to it. And so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I remember the days of the old fax machine, you send it off and waiting for a response back. And even that was better than mail because of, you know, trying to get a story through a magazine uh, in the UK, I'd have to write a letter you know, by the time it got back and maybe confirmed back, you're, you know, you've lost a month or two months on that. So it's uh, definitely much better today because you can turn around uh, a story in, uh, you know, 20 minutes if uh, somebody responds to you. So that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me, over the years um, since you've been doing all this, um, what do you think, or feel that, that we've lost from the marine world in any, in any way, um, isolation, species, habitat, um, or perhaps what you think we've gained? That's an interesting question. Um, 
Okay, if, I, if we think of the pandemic, what we've been hearing stories about how the marine life on reefs are bountiful right now because people have not been able to go diving. So less intrusion from divers maybe is allowing some life to come back in certain areas. But there's other areas that because divers are there, it attracts marine life. And you have the artificial reef systems that have um, taken a lifeless bottom, a seafloor. You put a, a shipwreck that's been cleaned on the bottom and you go back and within days there's life growing upon that shipwreck uh it's hard it's a hard one uh, i guess some locations as it becomes so popular there's uh, i'm thinking of cozumel back in the 80s you go out there it was absolute chaos out on the reef there were boats everywhere you, you had to be careful where you came up because you, you might get hit by another dive boat they were all on top of each other because they're all at the same site where if you go there today, they, they have a distance between each vessel. So it's much more organized by the dive operators there, which is fantastic. And when I was there, when they were doing that, it eliminated the problem of other dive groups on top of other groups. You might occasionally see another diver, but there were many dives we did where we never saw another diver. So I think that's just awareness, learning, um, trying to recognize where there's a problem and if it's emerging, what can we do to mitigate and, and ideally take it away? Yeah. Tell me, what's your favorite thing about taking underwater photos? Is it, is it capturing something unique? Is it just the process of being underwater or getting there or discovering? I mean, what's, what actually makes you smile when you, when you think, yes, that worked well? Uh, being underwater is, is always, you know, that's, that's always part of it. But I'm always interested in the picture I haven't taken. I don't fall in love with my images. It's, I, I know it's a, it's a good image. I've had images I was going to throw in the trash can and somebody will say, no, don't do that. It, it's really good. And sometimes you're too close to it and you didn't sort of get what you thought you were after with that image. So I've um, learned to listen to other people and beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So while I might think there's some aspects that I didn't achieve with that image, other people that I get more likes than people, you know, wanting to buy it than any, any other image I may have taken. But I think what always fascinates me is you, I, everyone has stories the long you've been diving and, and I've had some really amazing things that happened, particularly when I'm alone in the water with some marine life. And it just so happened, um, well, there's, there's several, but one in, one comes to mind is we were diving with a bunch of Pacific white side dolphins up in the north end of Vancouver Island. And there was hundreds of them there. So we were in an open channel, it's about 300 feet deep and uh, just dropping down about 40 feet. And the dolphins were zooming by like a squadron of Spitfires just going by. And it was late in the day, lights fading. I'm shooting slide film at the time. And I just know each time I was tripping the shutter, I'm not getting the shot. They're moving too fast for the light levels. So I'm just going to get a total blur. But, uh, and I'm running low on air. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to go up. I've got, I've got one shot left. And... I could see three dolphins sort of heading in my direction. And I thought, I'm not even going to waste my time burning this one shot on them. I just figured I'll just admire the beauty of them going by. But I was thinking to myself, 
I just, I'm not going to get the shot today that I want. It's not going to happen. They've sped by. I just, I just admired them. Just the beauty of these dolphins in the water and their element. And they stopped about, uh, maybe about 50 feet away. And one of them turned right back, came in front of me, stopped right in front of me, just beyond my hand reach. And I looked at it for a second, pulled my camera up, clicked the shutter, it nodded its head and then took off. So you wonder sometimes, do it, it would know that what I'm doing, taking a picture, but somehow it knew I wanted something. And so you have that moment. I got back up on the skiff, uh, longtime friend, John DeBoak, who had been um, skipper and said, how was it? And I said, John, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. And I'm not one to, you know, tell stories and everything like that. It, uh, it actually happened. And I've had other situations where marine life have interacted in ways that uh, wholly unexpected. And so I think that's what always pulls me back. You have those moments and, um, and also just the, the art of taking pictures. Uh, I kind of missed the slide film days in a way. There was a little more tactile and loading film and, and things like that. And you really had to nail it in 36 frames. Whereas digital, you know, someone can go down and shoot 1,200 frames on one dive and they get two images. Okay, that's photography too. But I'm, I'm kind of a purist in the sense of I know how hard it was in the early days. But yet I embraced digital photography when it came out for me in 2000. Seven, I picked up a, uh, no, 2004, a, a Nikon D70 and was able to get a housing out of Germany for it to take it to Indonesia. And I went down and dive shot 118 frames on a you know, macro dive. And that's it. I never looked back, never shot another roll of film since. So there are benefits to it. If you, if, um, but I, I took me a long time with digital to get over the fact that I was also accustomed to using manual settings all the time. And the cameras now with the higher ISO settings and things like that, it took a while to kind of get over that in my head. Um, but it's there. I, I, I absolutely love it. And um, yeah, so I, I think it's just the water, marine life. I, I can go down with a camera and just admire what's going on under, under the sea. So um, yeah, it's just that passion's there. It's a lovely story about the dolphin. I love it. And, and, I mean, the same, I, I much prefer to dive alone. Uh, I, I get to feel of what's happening if I'm alone. I've got no distractions. And, yeah, just sometimes I'll put down, the, well, I'll clip on the camera and, and, and I'll just sit there and watch. And yeah. things as you come to you and, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's, it's probably the greatest... Um thing to you know someone can learn is to just be patient and just watch and observe and sometimes just putting the camera down in your lap or holding it by your side and just observing what's going on and and numerous times i've encountered things that i would have probably swam past had i not stopped and and watching you know occasionally you're going to see some predation i've seen blinkhod lurch off the bottom and into a herring ball and you know everything explodes and goes back down the bottom's got herring in its mouth so I would have passed by that and not witnessed that at the time. So yeah, it's really just that, uh, you know, being calm and leisurely and take your time and not feel you have to race everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there anything that, that you've actually missed? You know, you've, you, you've been trying to get for a long time and it just keeps um, getting away from you. 
or are you pretty pretty well got everything you've gone for? Uh, I've seen a lot. Um, we have a local shark here called a six gill shark. And um, there was an area we used to go where they were quite reliable to see them. And they had an exper experimental fishery for them. And, and these animals live a, a long time. And they're basically trying to create a fishery for them when we don't know anything about their population dynamics, uh, why they show up at a certain place for a number of years and leave. We're, they're learning more about it now. But I haven't seen as many as we saw back in the 80s. So you go a decade without seeing one, it, it, it's disturbing. But I do hear, I just heard a report from a friend the other day where they've seen some off of Vancouver Island in a certain location. So it's probably going to be reliable and they may have moved into the area. And we have some in house sound here out of Vancouver. Um, we know they've always potentially been there, but the sightings have not been happening. So I'd like to get in and really have some time with them again because they're a very benign shark. They just swim along and they don't bother, you know, they're not erratic in their movements and they seem to be curious about us, but not in a, any kind of threatening way. Other than that, uh, I love sharks anywhere, anytime. Um, so uh, I absolutely love doing that. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any, you know, I'd love to dive in the Arctic. Uh, when we were up in Norway, uh, watching the walrus in the water and the water looks so crystal clear. I was just, would have given anything to try and slip in the water and, and try and get some images of them. Uh, but they can be quite dangerous. <laughs> so, so again, it's, it's, you know, you have to plan it and, and figure it out, but it looks so inviting. Yeah. It, it, I, I've done a bit in the Arctic and, and it is stunning, but of course now with being able to remote your camera, uh, on a pole or or, or uh, on some sort of drive, you, you can eliminate the danger from that and get some pretty stunning stuff. Absolutely, yes. I actually just saw um, some footage Brian Scary captured on some beluga whales. They used a, a camera on the bottom and uh, stunning images. Which, you, as a diver in the water, blowing bubbles or even on the rebreather, you may not have been able to achieve just because they see you as something strange in the water. Yeah, absolutely. Jen, it's been fabulous talking to you. Um, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, what your next project is, but I'm guessing it, it may be the Six Seal Shark. Uh, could could well be. Yeah, could well be at this point. Um, uh, we're, we're currently going into a lockdown on Friday here for uh, five weeks uh, they don't want us traveling beyond our health uh, region so mm -hmm. getting on a bc ferry to get to the island right now won't be happening until june probably but we have plans we'll be up up on the up in the north end of browning passage up out of port hardy in late september that's already set and so then we'll just be looking for some other things to do but it looks like for the balance of the year, we'll be diving locally. And, and that's great. There's plenty to do and, you know, it's never boring. And then into next year, probably a few, while we know the Philippines uh, all going well, will be happening in July of 2022. And uh, there might be a couple trips there by the time we get there. So, yeah, you know, it's always just, it's really difficult right now to plan too far ahead because we just don't know exactly when things will open up again. 
in every country. Yeah, indeed. Well, um, may it not be too long. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, once again, Jen, thank you very much for chatting. It's been, been brilliant. And uh, wish you all success with your future projects. Thank, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for having me on here. Uh, thanks, Nadia. Bye for now. Cheers.